Mr. Trump, I have a daughter who is interested in joining the service, but when she researched the military, she saw the stats on sexual assault and decided not to go. I have a concern about the rape of women in our armed forces. As president, what specifically would you do to support all victims of sexual assault in the military? It's a great question and it's a massive problem. Uh, the numbers are staggering, hard to believe even, but we're going to have to run it very tight. I, at the same time, want to keep the court system within the military. I don't think it should be outside of the military, but we have to come down very, very hard on that. And your daughter is absolutely right. It is a massive problem. About half a million women have now been sexually assaulted in the U.S. military. A recent documentary alleges the military is crawling with sexual predators, and a new Pentagon report shows a 35% rise in cases of unwanted sexual contact in the last two years. Both have angered lawmakers, especially women lawmakers. Several on the Senate Armed Services Committee gave the all-male top brass an earful. Kirsten Gillibrand of New York. You have lost the trust of the men and women who rely on you that you will actually bring justice in these cases. They're afraid to report. They think their careers will be over. They fear retaliation. They fear being blamed. In 2013, on this subject, you tweeted this, quote, 26,000 unreported sexual assaults in the military, only 238 convictions. What did these geniuses expect when they put men and women together. Well, it is, it, is a, it is a correct tweet. There are many people that think that that's absolutely correct. And the nation's top military leaders have lined up before Congress to answer a lot of questions. How many women and men are being raped and sexually assaulted? Are you freaking kidding me? Why is one in 10 going to trial and I, why is only one in 100 cases actually resulting in conviction? It is the question that vexes the nation's most senior officers all of them men. We're failing in our efforts to fully protect our people from sexual assault, sexual harassment. Sexual assault is criminal behavior. But the military leaders are all resisting efforts to have victims of abuse report to special military legal authorities instead of commanding officers. If I believe that removing commanders from their central role of responsibility in addressing sexual assault would solve these crimes within our ranks, I would be your strongest proponent. You have lost the trust of the men and women who rely on you. They're afraid to report. Women and men must put up with all kinds of degrading behavior, not random acts, but rather routine rites of passage that are still condoned by senior enlisted and officer leaders. All right, on this episode of Longest War, we welcome back Lauren Del Ritchie. Hi, Nick. So last time you were here, we talked about your experience in the United States Navy, some of the motivations behind why you joined, um, what you did, and this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about your transition. How long were you in when you got out? So I served three years active duty. Three years active. Yep. So I was just about 21 years old when I started the transition out of the Navy. Now, I had been, I had been transferred from Japan to San Diego due to, you know, something that had happened while I was in active duty, which I want to share a little bit with you today. But so when I was transitioning out, I was not in Japan anymore. I was connected at first to the Nimitz out of Coronado Island, San Diego, and then ultimately on shore duty. I worked at a bowling alley. You didn't particularly enjoy your time in San Diego, right? No, because I was, I was actually kind of in the throes of, you know, post-traumatic stress, but I didn't know it at the time that I actually had it. And 
So it was not, I mean, Coronado Island was beautiful, but I felt like I had been kicked off the island, you know, because I was Survivor really, style. <laughs> I was literally attached to my ship in Japan. I had some really good sisters and brothers out there. How long were you on the ship for? Two years, give or take. Two full, like? Yeah. Okay. So you spent about a year, six months at yeah, about San Diego? A little bit less than a year because you got to, you got to, um, Add in boot camp and A school. So it was okay. probably, you know. Like six, take. eight months, somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. Do you want to talk about your discharge? No. You don't? No. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, I got another than honorable discharge. Um, well, because of, I, I just say that because I, I know, like, I think it, the struggle you had with the VA and then finally them. Yeah. Like being like, oh, okay, we fucked up on this. Like, I think that's. Yeah. That, that could be a very positive, hopeful message. Some people that are probably could be in the same position and know that if it. Put your head down, muscle through it, and if you you do long enough, like you'll win if you're right. You know what I mean? That's true. No, yeah, I'll share it. I mean, <laughs> there's there for some reason there's like, and I was trying to not psych myself out this morning, but there's some sort of like overwhelming sense of fear when I go to talk about things like this because I think it's like the nature of of service. You know that they, you know, you, why do you do things? What motivates you to do things in service? Because you're afraid you're going to get in trouble, <laughs> right? If you don't do right. those things. So I, I feel like I still carry some of that with me. And so maybe it's nerves or anxiety or just a little bit of fear, but I feel like that's why immediately I was like, no, I don't want to talk about it, but you're right. Um, I'm sure that there's a big part of the population of veterans. And I know there is, it's kind of like a thing that's going on now because a lot of pro bono lawyers are taking on cases to help um, veterans that have PTSD and have less than honorable discharges. Well, absolutely. There, I was reading the other day, Harvard's law school, uh, there's a, a lot of their JD students are, they're, they're doing a lot of pro bono work and they're filing a class action lawsuit against the military, the army specifically for all the discharges that have taken place since like 2005, 2006, for other than honorable that should have been med boarded, right? Like they should have been given some sort of medical diagnosis before they were put out. And it's like maybe 10,000, 20,000 people. I mean, it was, it was the problem. It didn't look great for the military to have all these PTSD cases, right? So what do they do? They diagnose it with something else and they put them out. But soon enough, people will probably start to realize like the, the high rates of these cases that, that actually are out there. Yeah, and it's a shame because, like, for for example, uh, I'm a big proponent of higher education using your GI Bill and your transition. There's a lot of great benefits. It keeps you on track, gives you a goal, gives you some extra income and everything. And one of the prerequisites, which is non-negotiable for using the post-9-11 GI Bill, is having an honorable discharge. I had to fight that. I fought it and fought it and fought it, and eventually I won. Right. Because all I do is win, 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 <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> but I did. I was I was awarded an extra 12 months of post, and that's how I got my master's degree, because I had used voc rehab, which at the time did not give you a housing stipend. Sure, they changed that now, but you know, so so if, not getting the discharge that you 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 deserve, because I served honorably. You know what happened at the end of the day, at the you know the last hour. So let's let's talk about that. Let's at any point, if I'm like, let's talk about something, you just say no if you don't want to. Right, easy enough. We'll move on. Right, uh, but I feel like a good place to start with all this would be. What got you from your ship to San Diego? We talked about last time I was a boiler mechanic, right? So I, I was at my divisional picnic with all my fellow machinist mate friends. And our whole it was basically a divisional thing. And in Japan, and this, this is on the ship? This or is in, in Blue, seat or This in is port? in Blue Ridge on base. So I was attached to the Blue Ridge, but the picnic was off the ship, but it was on it was on the base. 
Now, the legal drinking age in Japan at the time, I think it was 20 or 18, I forget. But regardless, I, I wasn't, I was still under it because, like I said before, I joined at 17. So at this time, I was 18, but I, I don't believe I was old enough to drink on base yet. And there was a lot of、uh, Crown Royal and like all these, you know, different alcoholic drinks at the picnic. And I, I, I really was never a drinker in high school or anything like that. You know, I experimented a little here and there. But so I ended up, you know, they were giving me alcohol at the picnic. I was consuming it. So there was no, there was no fault there. It was just what it was. And there was a couple other new guys. I wouldn't call it hazing, but like that were kind of getting, you know, take another one, take another one. So I ended up, Let's get very spotty because I, I was very intoxicated and I was laying on the, on the pavement in my own vomit. And、uh, my, the first class petty officer at the time, he said, I, mean, I need to take you and another shipmate back to the ship because you guys are intoxicated. And so my buddy, we'll just call him Fireman Jones, <laughs> Fireman Jones and I get in the car and my first class petty officer takes us back to the ship. Well, I'm like in and out of consciousness at this point. I really think I, I might have had alcohol poisoning. I don't know. But you don't, you don't think you were drugged or anything, right? I can't say that for sure, honestly. But I know that I was very sick. And so I come to, and like I'm in the car, and Fireman Jones is in the back, up in the back of the car, and he's like passing out. And my first class petty officer says to me, I'm going to take Fireman Jones up the bow and get him on the ship, and then I'll be back for you. I'm like, all right. So I sit there and waiting. And he comes back and he says, Oh, you know,、uh, we, we, almost, we caught hell up there. I'm going to get in so much trouble if I, if I take another one of my drunk sailors back up there. You're not old enough to be drunk. And he has all these excuses. And I, and I remember I thought, I just I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was a kid and he was my first class. So I just was kind of relying on him to help me. And he said, I'll take you to the Navy Lodge. And you sleep it off there. And You get your, get your butt to the ship in the morning. And you trusted this guy? Of course. He was, he made, I could call him chief, but he didn't make chief yet. He wasn't my chief yet, but I got to watch that you know, miracle unfold、sure. <laughs> shortly after this happened. So now, mind you, at the picnic was his wife, his two kids, the rest of my division. So he took Fireman Jones back to the ship. And that, you know, usually the way I put it is that's not where he took me. At that moment, you say he took you to the lodge. Like, that's like a Navy Lodge is like Army has that. It's like a hotel on base,、yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, like a hotel on base. So, again, it's there's a lot of fuzzy details, but you know, there's certain things in life that when you wake up in the morning, you know something's happened to you. I knew what happened, and I went back to the ship and I went back to work. I didn't know what else to do. What I should have done was stop at medical and have a, a rape kit done on me, but I didn't know better. So I just got back to work and,、uh, and I didn't really think anything of it until the rumors started get sp- getting spread around the ship that I was like this whore, you know, because I, I slept with one of the higher ups. And, I, and so at this point, I had to do something about it because that just wasn't true. And I went to my command master chief at the time, and she was a woman and she, didn't, she, she listened to me. She let me in her office, but she never did anything like about it. And then there was a, a change of command. And I went back and I, and I told the, the new、uh, command master chief what happened. And he said, The captain needs to know what happened here. And how much time was this between when you told the first person and the change of command? Was, I, was, I was lucky. I think it was a couple weeks. Like it, we were just undergoing. And I think that's why she didn't do anything about it because she、sure. was on her way out and she didn't want any trouble. And this whole time, were you having interactions with the guy that, that did it? 
yeah, he was my turn too, P.O. I mean, he was basically the head of my division. So I had to go to work in the boiler room every day. What were those interactions like? Like, did you just, how did you feel when you would see him? It was awful. I mean, there is, there is more to the story. Like he would, like, I remember him saying, if you know it's good for you, you know, you shut the fuck up. You never talk about this, basically. And I just, I didn't, I don't even like really know. I think I like just shut down, like sort of, because I don't even know how I handled it, to be honest with you. Being that young and kind of going through the ins and outs, the daily, daily ins and outs. I don't know how he went back to the picnic and looked his wife in the face after. Sure. You know what I mean? That's so odd, like to me, just the, just the thought of that. So this is where I, I, after the new command master chief came, I found I got some sort of gumption, some sort of strength because he listened to me and he said, I believe you. He said, even though you didn't go to medical and you didn't get a rape kit, I believe you. And the senior petty officer that did that to me was actually a black, uh, a black guy, African-American guy, and the new command master chief was. So the irony to me of the female command master chief wouldn't listen to me, but th- this guy, like, I would think, like, you know, the boys stick together, but he didn't. He valued every word I said. Um, and I just think he was new to the command. He didn't, he didn't really know the ins and outs of things, so nothing was really happening. And so I remember I got in my dress whites, and I went, I walked all the way up to the captain's office his quarters, and I stood outside. I mean, there was a lot of ladder wells to climb up to the captain's to the captain's chambers, and so I stood at parade rest outside his door and just waited for him because I was like, I need. He needs like the command master chief said the captain has to know this, and so I literally jumped the chain of command and just and I, I don't know. I stood there for a long time, and then he finally showed up, and he said, well, "Hello, Fireman Orchie, what are you doing?" Because he, I knew the captain because I never shared the story before, but I saved uh, the ship from a fuel oil leak once. It was like something notable. So you get the accommodation from the captain. He goes, so whatever. So he knew who I was. He said, hi, Fireman Del Richie, what are you doing? I said, permission to speak freely. He said, sure, come on in. And I just laid it out for him. I told him what happened. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you are my shiny red Cadillac. He called me his shiny red Cadillac. And he said, and I don't want, you know, I don't want this. We need, we need to handle this. What, what do you want? I said, I want to get the hell out of the ship. I want to get out from under his his command. I, you know, I, I want to get the hell out of here. Which I didn't realize at the time I, what I was doing. That he shouldn't have listened to me. He should have figured out. You know, like got me medical attention, screaming for PTSD. But um, he said, your wish is my command, and literally got me swapped out. And that's how I ended up in San Diego. But when I got there, I had felt I felt ostracized. I felt like I had lost all of my brothers and sisters. You know, what I mean? it just wasn't it because I had a friend that was on the ship with me who lived out there. So that was my and the, my boyfriend that I had been with the whole time on the ship lived in Colorado. So I wanted to get stateside and hook up with my friends and and you know get to see my boyfriend. But that probably was not what was in my best interest. I should have. So I remember being underway. I think it was Okinawa or Guam, and I. And I, when I got off the ship, I went to see a doctor and I got screened for, I think, for PTSD. And I, and I think that's the only reason I was actually like awarded any kind of benefits when I got out because it was on record. And when I got to San Diego, I'll never forget. And this is like a terrible twist of irony because my captain on the Blue Ridge actually, I think the only way he got me, he pulled some strings to get me to San Diego because when I got there, I I actually ended up under his command again at my new duty station on shore duty. So I 
I ran away to Tijuana or Rosarito. I, I think it was Rosarito. And I didn't come back for a couple of days. And I took every drug under the sun. I just, I, I, I felt like I wanted to die. You know, I just had no idea what was going on. I had these horrible nightmares and flashbacks and terror, night terrors and um, panic attacks and all kinds of stuff. And I didn't know what was happening to me. Like I didn't have medical attention for it at the time. So there was a random urinalysis just me. I got called to master at arms and I popped positive for whatever I had done down there in Rosarito. And that's what led to the other than honorable discharge. Looking back, I mean, I think, I think I, I think a lot of it could have been, it didn't have to get so ugly if, if, if there was a more medical attention, more medical care and, you know, like attention paid to the side effects that come when you endure military sexual trauma because this continued to stretch on throughout my 20s. I just, you know, I was always in school. I was a good student, but I struggled with issues with drugs and alcohol, you know, self-medicating. Number one symptom of PTSD is avoidance. I avoided it like the plague. I I couldn't even have a sexual relationship without being intoxicated because I, I it just screwed me up. You know, and the uh, a lot of, I hear a lot of female veterans say to me how much they hate the care that they get at the the VA and they're, they're, you know, they're not comfortable with their doctors and this and that. And I felt that a lot through, throughout the years, but I got lucky here in Pittsburgh because I found a great friend in my doctor and um, made a lot of progress. And I just know that on the other side that there is help out there. Like I remember one night after this was all kind of coming to the surface and I was down in the female birthing and I felt a tap on my shoulder and it was one of my shipmates and she said, it happened to me too. And that happened, you know, a couple times that someone would come to me and say, how did you find the strength to even tell anyone that this happened? You know, I said, I don't know. It just felt like the right thing to do. So. Yeah. Cause this is, so what are we talking about? 2003? Yep. 2004, somewhere around there. Yep. It was like in the early days even the war. I mean, there's still a long way to go, but I think we all agree like the military's made very positive strides in the last 15 years or so towards like addressing this stuff. Yeah. But I those mean, early days, like. No, exactly. And it all started when they came up with the acronym for it. You know, everything in the military starts with an acronym, MST. Yeah, right. You know, so, hey, it's documented. You got M- you have MST, you have PTSD resulting from your MST, you get benefits, you know. And when I actually, I did speak with my doctor before I came to share this today to make sure I was in a good enough place, like where it wouldn't kind of throw me off or set, set me off of my therapy. And she said, listen, I just want to remind you that this is your decision. It's your truth. It's your story. And you can do whatever you want with it. But she said, I think it's important to focus on the help that is available to any veteran. You walk in the VA and they, if you if you have experienced a military sexual trauma, regardless of whether or not you are service connected, there is help for you there. Like you don't, like I happen to have a service-connected disability because I went through that process and I applied for those benefits. But even if you didn't have that, you could go to any VA. I think there's, I know it's for military sexual trauma and I think there's one other, I think it's uh, combat trauma too with the vet center. Like you don't have to have, you know, but that is available. So if anyone hears this podcast and it's happened to them and you're struggling and you don't really know where to go. You don't have any medical benefits. You don't know who to tell. And it, you know, the thoughts run through your head all the time. Cause I mean, I went through times in my life where I was suicidal. I didn't know how to avoid everything that was going on in my head. It, and and the, it was repetitive. And 
uh, waking up in the middle of the night, not being able to breathe and stuff like that. Like that shit gets old <laughs> after a while. I mean, and to no avail with nothing, there was no relief. So you know what I mean? So that's a lot of times where the self-medicating comes in. But if you go to any VA, if you're having any of these problems and you think they might be stemming from a trauma you had, there is help available for you, no cost. And it is the VA. So hopefully, you know, you got to take a gamble and that you're going to get a good doctor. But I've had my share of doctors that I didn't align with either. You know, you just have to kind of keep, like Nick, you said earlier, keep your head down and keep forging forward and fighting through it. Because eventually, you know, it's I, I, I just am living proof. I have a great job now. I have great friends. I have two dogs. You know, I have a great life. I'm happy. And I'm not medicated. <laughs> you know, it's just like... Speaking of... There's, What's this great new job you've got? Oh, I'm <laughs> the community outreach director with the Veterans Breakfast Club of Pittsburgh. Imagine that. <laughs> She's on board with us now. Yeah. yeah they recruited me. Nice little self-plug there. <laughs> Let's, so, okay, so you get discharged. What year did you get out? 2003. 2003. And like, what benefits did you get at, the, like, at discharge? Like, How did that work? I can remember sitting in a dusty like, VA office with my mom. And I can remember what the guy looked like. He's like an older dude, gray hair, kind of heavy. And I can remember having to recount the whole entire rape for him, like details. And my mom was there with me, like holding my hand. And that's when I got my first service-connected disability of, of 30% PTSD. I think it was 10% tinnitus because I had some hearing loss from the boiler room. But that was like, after that process, I think... It's called a CMP, Compen Pension. I don't know if I knew that what what it really was at the time, but as I've gone through more over the years, I I think what it was was a CMP. And then I got the letter in the mail that you've been awarded thirty percent service connected disability. Did that come with any other benefit? Like, so you didn't get your education benefits reinstated when you got that or anything? Not yet. I mean, the Voc re Voc Rehab um, didn't have as staunch requirements as the post nine eleven GI Bill did. So I could use the I could use voc rehab like what like I did at community colleges and stuff like that, but it wasn't until I had exhausted all the voc rehab benefits and I wanted to get my master's. That's when I was eligible for that. With the time I had served and everything, I was eligible for a hundred percent post nine eleven GI bill, except for I had another than honorable discharge. So I think. I wrote letters letters over the years. It took me a while to fight for that. But I basically like recapped my service. And I said, you tell me what part of this isn't honorable. I did this. I did this. I deployed. You know, I did all these things. And I, I think eventually the letter just fell into the right hands because I got a letter like in the mail saying you've been awarded the GI Bill. It was such a like a victorious moment for me. Did you apply or thought about applying to the Discharge Review Board? Yeah. So I've I've done the DRB. Like I get letters from the VA that says you're honorable for VA purposes, right? And then it's, it'll say character of service, honorable. But I have yet to get a revised DD-214, which is what the Discharge Review Board would do. So they would look at the circumstances of your discharge and then recommend they cut you a new DD-214. I have not had any luck with that. I've been working with um, volunteer lawyers for justice out of New Jersey, which is where I'm from. This has been a very long process, but they're great, you know, and they're real sensitive about, you know, the nature of like their questions and everything, but it's a long process. Yeah. But it's something you're still working towards. I am. Right. Because I believe that there are definitely, I mean, I made third class petty officer within two years of being in a, I mean, a female in a boiler room, machinist mate. That's, that's pretty awesome. 
what part of that isn't honorable? You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like over the course of your service, you can justify and you can, you can beg the point, hey, listen, what, what about this isn't honorable? Right. You know, about my service. It only took a turn for the worse once I left Japan and the symptoms of PTSD started to set in. And we know for sure now, like I even got for a time, I had a service-connected disability because it kind of like added on over the years, right? So at first it was just like, okay, PTSD. There's a lot of co-occurring disorders that go along with PTSD. So you have the depression and anxiety. That's where the suicidal ideation a lot of times comes in because they put you on these different meds for depression and try to help you. And that can kind of bring out. Right. And then the substance abuse, actually, I got service-connected for that as well because that is a co-occurring disorder with PTSD. Yeah. And, you know, PTSD can result. It doesn't have to be a sexual trauma, combat trauma. You can get it from a, an array of different things. Mine just happened to be a, a military sexual trauma. But, yeah, I mean, and I feel like they don't – there's no, there's never an ad on TV that comes out and says this, you know what I mean, which is why it sucks to have to tell – I don't know how many people are listening to this podcast, but, you know, tell the world, so to speak, on the internet that, yeah, I struggle with drugs and alcohol. Yeah, I struggle with depression. Yeah, I got a service dog because I tried to, like, I wanted to kill myself, like, one morning. You know what I mean? So these are, like, the deepest, darkest secrets, like, of my heart that I've really never shared before, let alone on a microphone, like, into a podcast. So I just want to let you guys know that I'm just glad I'm finally in a place in my life where I can. Yeah. Without completely melting down. Well, and all that said, like, you don't hate the Navy either, do you? No. Like, you, would you recommend the Navy to, like, a young girl that's looking to join? That's a heavy question. I mean, I wouldn't... I you don't wouldn't, have to answer. I wouldn't not recommend it. I, I think I would just give her a heads up. I, I have before. Yeah. You know? Like... But to a degree, like, you separate your experience from, like, the Navy. Like, you, you place the blame on that dude, right? Yeah. More so than any... I mean, obviously... From what you said, their chain of command fucked up several yeah. times along the way, uh, and they do bear some responsibility for that. Yeah, but I don't hold it against the Navy. I'm, I'm, I love the Navy, and I love meeting others that have served in the Navy. I was proud. I'm proud of my service. You know, I was talking to my friend. We're kind of like quote unquote battle buddies. Her name's Frankia. She was in the Marines, and we were talking just before I came up here to get on the radio, and she was like, "Listen, you've been." We've both, because it happened to her, you know, too. I mean, everyone, and she said I could say that. So it's like, there's more cases than you would think. But she said, we pull this really heavy wagon, I feel like, and we've been pulling it for a really long time. And there's these really heavy rocks in there. She said, just think of it as, you know what, you're going to unload one rock today. Because every time you talk about it, and that's the part I'm doing cognitive processing therapy with my doctor, which is where I like basically have to write a detailed essay Every, I like the smells I remember, any kind of absolute details that I can remember, and I have to write them down, and then I have to bring that paper into her and read it. I mean, it's intense therapy, and sure. I, was, I was against it at first. I was like, I can't do this. And I could not believe once I ended up writing things down and reading it, how good that felt. Yeah. The after, you know, it's like you really do have to get through that part of it to feel some relief. But that's what I, that's kind of just like. Well, like forces you to think about it, right? Like, cause you've probably, I imagine, I mean, I don't know for sure, but you spent a long time trying to not think about it and avoid it and push it down. Yeah. Cause like when you're forced to confront it. Yep. And just like our, with the VBC, you know, healing through the power of healing through like sharing your story. Yeah. It's just the same concept. It really, I believe it's a phenomena, a human phenomena 
the healing that comes from sharing it. And and that's why, you know, as you and I, Nick, got closer as coworkers, and then you asked me, are you comfortable sharing something like this? I mean, at first I was, I wanted to tell you to pound sand, dude, you know what I mean? And yeah. then I really thought about it and I was, and as I, I discovered the power of healing through storytelling, the power of healing through even like structured, you know, with doctor-patient relationship, I was like, there's got to be kind of the same, the same effect doing this, you know? And I kind of feel like I'm going to throw up right now, but later on today, I might feel pretty good. You know, like I did it, like it's behind me and it's something that I did. So I thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing. I know it wasn't easy. Uh, I know you haven't slept much lately thinking about it. And <laughs> I actually have lost a little bit of sleep. I was yeah. up at like 5 a.m. I think I texted Steph <laughs> like at 5 a.m. this morning. She wrote her. She's like, I don't know if Lauren's doing well. <laughs> she was like, she's not jazzed up about this. I was like, I bet she's not. <laughs> It was, uh, it was just one of those things, you know, but I decided, and actually I'm, I'm so thankful to have met you and your wife in the network of veterans that I'm, because even Matt Darwin messaged me and he said, this isn't going to kill you. You know what I mean? So think of it that way and think about how much stronger you're going to be on the other end. Sure. And I really believe that there's truth to that, you know, cause sometimes the things that we don't want to do are the things that we really need to do. So again, that's why I showed up and that's why I did this today well again thanks so much we appreciate you coming on and bearing your soul for us um, I guess I'll leave you with you want to hear a joke no <laughs> <laughs>